Welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here's your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I am your host, Fred. That great theme music is by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. And today we continue our focus on Demon Barber of Fleet Street. That would be Sweeney Todd. Um, if we learned all about his little meat pies uh, that are sold at his Fleet Street location and also about a little string of pearls that has fallen into his um, favor and um, also some some attempts to go and find out uh, what has happened of the yay old Martin Gestry and uh, who is left a betrothed behind. So this string of pearls, this investigation, this um, stranger who has shown up at the meat pie shop, all leading to our next act of this great Adventure. I shouldn't need to say too much more about either Yuri Rosovsky, the great playwright uh, of audio, or um, Sweeney Todd, the story itself. Um, I do have to thank Blackstone Audiobooks again for having us play this show. Um, and of course, need to mention that with holidays right around the corner, so one thing you might want to think about if you're an audio lover is uh, the gift of audio. Um, Audible.com offers a free 14-day trial. You can get free audiobooks. Radio Drama Revival is um, affiliated with them. If you go to audibletrial.com forward slash radiodrama and sign up for a trial, it will benefit our show. Uh, another thing you might want to consider is giving a gift subscription. Um, I love Audible. You know, they do have a big catalog of straight up audio drama work. They also have a big catalog of uh, audio books in general, and uh, which I also love. You know, there is a lot of material out there, but I love to make a place for audio books as well as audio drama productions in my life. So that's kind of the pitch part. Um, and I mentioned that as well because Yuri Rosovsky has a ton of works. Uh, pretty much everything he's done with Blackstone is available there. If you've not heard things like the Maltese Falcon or um, St. Joan, highly recommend that you check those out um, either directly through Blackstone Audiobooks at blackstoneaudio.com or um, through Audible, audible.com or audibletrial.com forward slash radiodrama to get a free title and get hooked up on their member service. All right, and before our main show, we do have Captain Radio. Captain Radio, uh, what do we got? Greetings, audio nots. Captain Radio here with a review of Maria Tuehi's audio drama adaptation of Jen Marlowe's world-renowned play, There is a Field, made possible by Rode Microphones. Passionate, unique audio transforms our world. You start with Rode. Visit rodemic.com. That's R-O-D-E-M-I-C.com. The Asla siblings, Asel, voiced by Benjamin Nathan Serio, and his older sister, Nardine, voiced by Joanna Pesca, shared a relaxed, warm, often impish, but always close bond, even when separated by a hemisphere and exchanging cyber messages. Listen, I'm thinking of changing my lifestyle, by the way. Less computers, less staying up late at night, running when I have time. Now, I simply waste time on the PC. Slider. Have I got you right? You want to change the way you live. Do something other than spending time in front of the PC? <laughs> Yo, aliens, what did you do with my brother? Raised in an educated, middle-class Palestinian home in Arabah, north of Nazareth in Lower Galilee, both struggled with subtle discrimination and perceived imposition of dual identities, as described by Nardine's father, voiced by Brian Reedy, with pragmatic resignation. Dad would say, Remember, you are a citizen of Palestine. We are the roots in this land. We are the trees, the stones, the soil. You are a Palestinian Arab inside Israel. We did not choose this identity. The Israeli government gave it to us. 
1976, Arabah was the site of controversial Israeli government expropriation of huge Arab-Israeli land tracts. Local strikes and protests erupted into violence and deadly confrontations. Land Day, an annual commemoration of the tragedy, sustains locally a vivid memory of the outrage. Attempting to diffuse this regional seething, the Seeds of Peace Project recruited potential young leaders in the area like affable, outgoing teenager Asil, now become a poster child for making prolific online connections and friends across the ethnic and political spectrum. Asil eventually traveled several times to America to participate in their leadership camps. There he earned broad respect and admiration for his innate ability to relate to both Arabs and Israelis and to encourage them to do likewise. When in October 2000, Intifada broke out in the West Bank and Gaza, pouring over into Israel, Asil donned his Seeds of Peace t-shirt to join demonstrations in Naraba. That day, along with 12 other Arab Israelis, Asil died violently, allegedly dragged out of sight and executed by Israeli security police, though details of his death remain mired in controversy. Black October, as the annual commemoration of this second tragedy between Palestinian Arabs and Israelis is known, in part embraces Asil's legacy of drawing on timeless sources to encourage unity and toleration. Rumi wrote, Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. Don't miss Marie Tuehi's audio drama adaptation of Jen Marlowe's play, There's a Field, coming in December 2011 on the RadioDramaRevival.com podcast. To learn more about the Seeds of Peace leadership development program for youth in areas of regional conflict, visit their website at seedsofpeace.org. Until next time, Audionauts, this is Captain Radio signing off. All right. Thank you, Captain Radio, CaptainRadio.com. And of course, if you want to hear your work on this show, uh, just head to RadioDramaRevival.com, hit up Submit on the website, and you will get us into the queue. And we'll hear about your show. And you can drop me an email if you want as well. But the, really the official way to do it is through that form. is the most efficient way for us to hear it. And yeah, thank you. Thanks for all the great work that you do. And thank you for tuning in now. We're on to our feature production, um, Sweeney Todd, The String of Pearls, um, brought to you by Blackstone Audiobooks, blackstoneaudio.com, produced by Yuri Rosovsky's Hollywood Theater to Ear. Enjoy. What's the matter with you, boy? Tis Hector. Hey, That blasted sailor's mongrel? Tis still out in front of me windows? He won't budge, and he's awful sick, something he ate most like. Oh, he's throwing up fierce, but he won't let me take him away to an animal doctor. Oh, he'll die unless he gets proper physic. It's probably your fault for feeding the cur. You fed him too. I've seen you do it. You, you did, did you? And poison him too, I'll wager. Oh, tis one thing to off human people, but a poor dumb animal... What did I tell you about... Oh, Mr Moorsfield. Oh, good to see you again. Mr Todd, you're most humble. I say, are you aware that a large dog lies in a pool of excrescence just without your door? I indeed, Mr. M, and the poor unfortunate beast. Uh, Toby, be a good lad and do what you can for the creature and mop up, if you will. Aye, sir. 
Good to see you, Mr. M. I was meaning to pay you a call. Were you? Well, Todd, by happenstance, I have come to you. Uh, what's your pleasure? Uh, shave, cut, or dress? I'll shave, my man, if you please. Oh, sit you down, Mr. M. Sit you down. I'll polish you off quick as you can say Jack Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> Must you do that? You sound like a felon on the gallows after the trap has slipped. Forgive me, Mr. M. I'm just a merry sort of cove. An unfortunate humour, Todd. Very unfortunate. I advise you to rein in your propensity for levity, lest men of affairs think you frivolous. Follow my example. Gravity best suits the tradesman. A solemn aspect and thrifty habits, and there's an end on't. <laughs> What did you wish to see me about, Todd? Uh, you trade in precious stones, do you not? Aye, I do. Do you want to buy or sell? To sell. <laughs> I dare say it is something not in my line. The only order I get is for pearls, and they are not in the market. Uh, why, I has nothing but the pearls to sell. Little seed pearls, I suppose. They are of no value. Oh, very good. Then I'll take them, Mr. Mundell. He will perhaps deal with me for them, if you won't. <laughs> Wait a moment. What's the use of going to Mundell? He has not the means of purchasing what I can present cash for. Let me see your pearls. There. Hmm. Real. Real, by heaven, or real? Well, I knows they're real. Give them back now. Will you deal with me or no? Uh, let me look again. Hmm. Oh, I see. Counterfeits, <laughs> but so well done that really, for the curiosity of the thing, I will give fifty pounds for them. Uh, just like this, Mr. M. I'm fond of curiosities. As they ain't real, I'll keep them. They'll do for a present to Toby. Ecod! Give those to that sloven. You must be mad. That is to say, not mad, but certainly indiscreet. Come now, at a word, I'll give you a hundred pounds for them. Harky, it neither suits me inclination nor me time to stand here chaffing with you. I'll mow your whiskers and we'll say no more about it. Well, what would you accept for them? They're worth twelve thousand. I'll let you have them for ten. <laughs> I see. Since you know the value of your pearls, and this is to be a downright business transaction, I think I can find a purchaser who will give 11,000 for them. And if so, I have no objection to give you eight. All right, give me your 8,000 and let me get on with me work. I hate stickering. Uh, stop a bit. There are some rather important things to consider. Pearls of this value are not to be bought like a few ounces of old silver. The vendor of them must give every satisfaction as to how he came by them, and prove how he can give to the purchaser a good right and title to them. In other words, you don't care how I come by them, providing I sell them to you at a thief's price. But if I want their worth, you means to be particular. My good master barber, you may conclude what you like. Show me you have a right to dispose of the pearls, and you need go no further for a buyer. If that's the way the wind blows, I'll show you me bill of sale. I got it right here! The old miser. Well, Tobias, finished so soon? Hector's finally gone to meet his maker, poor fella. 
I come in to get something to wrap up his earthly remains, so as I can take him somewheres where I can bury him proper. There'll be no canine obsequies this day, you young biker. I've other designs on your time, my lad. Where's Mr. Morsefield? I shaved him, he paid and he left. I didn't see him go. I doubt not that an earthquake would escape your notice whilst you're fussing over that mongrel out there. Why, Mr. Morsefield forgot his hand cane. I'll, I'll go run and give him to him. You stay right here, Blaster. We aren't running no lost and found. You've got some right absent-minded customers, Mr. Todd. That you do. If you kept all what they left behind, you could open up a side business in Abidashery. Ow! What did I tell you about loose talk? More work and less palaver, if you know what's good for you. Someday, Sweeney Todd. Oh, someday. Arabella, now I have told you all about my difficulties, I desire your advice. Alas, poor Joanna, thou hast chosen but an indifferent confidant in the person of that young and inexperienced girl to whom it seems good to thee to impart thy griefs. If faith, you could not have come to a better person. She is young, almost to girlhood, and having been the idol of her family circle, she knows just about as little of the great world as a child. For I have read all the novels in London and am sensible of all the difficulties that anybody can possibly get into. And what is more important, I know all the means of getting out of them. Let them be what they may. What do you think of all that I have told you? Can you gather from it any hope? Oh, abundance of hope, Joanna. After all, you have no certainty of the death of Mark Ingestry. I certainly have not, as far as regards the loss of him in the Indian Sea. But, Arabella, I suspect that this Thornhill was no other than Mark Ingestry himself. Indeed! Have you any special reasons for such a surmise? None, further than the improbability of the story related by Thornhill. Why should Mark have given him the string of pearls and the message to me? Why trust to the preservation of this Thornhill and assume for some strange reason that he himself must perish? There is good argument in that, Joanna, I'll be bound, but why should he conceal his identity? Mark Ingestry must have suspected some danger following him to London. And surely, if Mark Ingestry and Thornhill be one and the same person, the possession of those pearls has been, as he supposed, the temptation to destroy him. There cannot be a doubt upon that point, Joanna. You will find in all the tales of love and romance that jealousy and wealth have been the sources of every evil which fond and attached hearts have suffered. Advise me what to do. Why, my dear Joanna, did you not say that all the evidence you have regarding this Thornhill follows him up to that barber shop in Fleet Street and no farther? So it does. Then I know something you must learn. I am all attention. A short time since, about six months, I think. Or was it seven? No, no, it was about the time Brother disputed with his tailor over his new uniform and that... Does it matter, Arabella? I suppose not. At whatever month, a prentice of my father, in the last week of his servitude, was sent to the west end of the town to take a considerable sum of money but he never came back with it. 
From that day to this, we have heard nothing of him save this. Father learnt that the Prentice received the money, and that he met an acquaintance in the Strand, who parted from him at the corner of Milford Lane. Or was it Hanging Sword Alley? Arabella! The Prentice told his friend he intended to call at Sweeney Todd, the barber's in Fleet Street, to have his hair dressed. There was to be a regatta on the Thames, and he was determined to go to it, whether my father liked or no. And he was never heard of? Never. Arabella, you must help me find a way to penetrate these mysteries. Let me think, Aunt. Hmm. I recall when I passed by Todd's shop on my way to market a fortnight since, or perhaps twas when Cousin Albert last came. Please, or... dear. Well, twas but a short time ago. I saw a placard in the barber's window to say he wanted a lad as an assistant in his business. But that has been removed, or we might have procured someone to take the situation for the express purpose of playing the spy. There still may be an opportunity of accomplishing something in that way. The youth who took the situation, Tobias by name, is an acquaintance of mine. Oh, marvellous! Has this Tobias sufficient capacity that we could trust him? I have the highest opinion of his capacity. Still, upon reflection, I am loath to place him on a mission which by a single false step might be made frightfully dangerous. On t'other hand, Joanna, if his master, as we suspect, be a blaggardly cutthroat, is not Tobias already susceptible to frightful dangers? Veritably. You scruple over much, dear Joe. Which is worse, for Tobias to face the dastard alone and unsuspecting, or for him to join with us in full cognizance? I can conceive of a third way, Arabella. To assuage my conscience, let us do as follows. We must exert our moral responsibility to share our informations with Tobias. Then, fully informed, let him choose either to deal with us or otherwise see to his safety. By all means, dear Joe, we must take the responsible moral road. But what about this Colonel Geoffrey you spoke of? Surely he would gladly make himself guarantor of the Prentice's safety. If not for the lad's sake, then for yours. I feel dubious on that score. Throughout our interview, he gave me such looks as a starving man gives a leg of mutton. Those looks may lead to your advantage, Joanna, according to my novels, in which I may say they are described far more attractively than you have done. His manner put me quite out of countenance. But why? Is he not strong? Aye. And handsome? Some would so describe him. And honourable. He does wear his majesty's uniform. And dashing. Well. And unattached. Presumably. And did he not swear to assist you? For what such oaths are worth. If faith, such oaths are more precious than the missing pearls, my dear Joanna. My novels present sundry precedents and no exceptions. We are to have a second interview presently. I shall put the matter to him at that time. Oh, do! And let me implore you, Joanna, to come to me the morning after you have met him. And then we shall again consult upon some plan of operations which appears to us practicable and desirable. That noise again! What could it be? Between the barber's shop of Sweeney Todd and the pie shop of Mrs. Lovett, there was a cellar of vast extent 
and of dim and sepulchral aspect. <sighs> Need I ask when I conceive what it is all too well? Tis another delivery of meat. <laughs> Some rough red tiles are laid upon the floor and pieces of flint and large jagged stones have been hammered into the earthen walls to strengthen them. Here and there, rough huge pillars made by beams of timber rise perpendicularly from the floor and prop large flat pieces of wood against the ceiling to support it. All the doors fastened upon me. What can it mean? There is but one man throughout all the place and he is sitting on a low three-legged stool in one corner, with his head resting upon his hands, gently rocking to and fro, as he utters scarcely audible moans. I must leave tonight. I know too much. My brain teems with horrors. What a miserable object is this man. What a sad and soul-stricken wretch he looks. I have not slept now for five nights. Nor dare I eat naught but the raw flour. I shall leave tonight if they do not watch me too closely. <sighs> if I could but get into the street. If I could but once again breathe the fresh air. Skinner! Skinner! I'm here. How long will the ovens be? A quarter of an hour, ma'am. God help me. Was that you say? I said, God help me. Surely a man may call upon heaven without offense. Bloody hell. Six weeks only have I been here. Only six weeks. I was starving before I came. Alas, alas, how much better to have starved. I should have been dead ere now and spared all this agony. But see, in a far corner of the gloomy vault, one of the small arched doors opens, and a man creeps in. The pleasant scenes of my youth recur to me, and there in my mind's eye appears to me the bubbling stream in the ancient mill, the old mansion house with its tall turrets and its air of silent... <laughs> Grand What did you say your name is? I I didn't say. But it is a Jonas Williams. Well, Jonas Williams. This is me bakehouse. Why? It is immense. I got me a bloody immense operation, Jonas Williams. In addition to me shop, I supply street mongers all over London. What are these mechanical contrivances? These what does most of the work. I'll show you. Turn that lever. This? You'll find pies can be manufactured with amazing quickitude if you set them out and proper. Them there is the ovens. The coal you stokes them with is in them bins. That there mechanism needs the dough. The red one chops the meat. Above, you can see the tanks of water you has to regulate so we keeps up enough steam to run all the machines. Powered by steam. 
Ingenious. Once you loads that there platform with pies, you raise it into me shop by turning that wheel. I'll show you. See? The York turns nice and easy like. And the platform goes up sweet as you please. You manufactures the pies, feeds the furnaces, and makes yourself generally useful. Good. I want you to keep me busy. Flour will be always let down through a trapdoor from the upper shop. All the other ingredients comes down those chutes, except the meat. That you'll always find ranged upon shelves, either in lumps or steaks, behind that there door. That door, you say? But how does the meat get there? That's no business of yours. Now, I'll go through the old process with you, but first, you look and smell rotten. Eat, wash up, and get rid of them bloody rags. Burn them in the furnace. Pies left over from today's batch is sitting on that there bench. They're delicious, if I do so say myself. Eat all you want. Fresh cloves and everything you need to stay clean and tidy is in that chamber there. Your sleep's over there. You require of me to sleep down here? Sleep, live, eat, drink, wash, work. Am I never allowed above? What for? Well, I must procure sustenance, do I not? Replace these rags? Betake myself to the bathhouse? You can do all that down here. Of course you can purchase for yourself anything else, if you can get the bloody money. We give none. No wages? Room and board, them's your wages. You'll ne'er afford a bloody coach and four with that. But you did tell me you have no anchoring for to better yourself, didn't you? Room and board and 24 hours a day in a windowless underground vault. It is a big enough place. Lots of room to roam around in. So long as you don't try to force any of them locked rooms. And you must never leave the bakehouse. Unless you leaves it for good and all. My predecessor, he agreed to your terms? He did. Where is he now? He's gone to some of his oldest friends. We'll be right glad to see him, I expect. With a fortnight's notice, you too can relinquish the situation any times you like, and go back to your old friends. I have no old friends. Everybody who relinquishes the situation goes to his old friends. Then I suppose I shall never relinquish the situation. And why should I? Life, for me, is but a marking of time. Until the merciful Lord decides to do what I am too craven to do for myself. Peace. Nobody wants to hear that. I've got my own troubles. Now, put some food in your belly and wash good and proper. I don't want no lice in me pie batter. When I return, I'll show you what's what around here. As you wish, ma'am. Archie, Jonas Williams. Until you relinquishes the situation... Any attempt to leave here will be as futile as it will be dangerous. Rest assured, ma'am. I have already imbibed as much futility and danger as any man could wish, and have no desire for more. Good. Now that there was a great object to be gained by a second interview with Colonel Jeffrey, the anxiety of Joanna Oakley to have it became extremely great. She counted the very hours until the period should arrive when she could again proceed to the Temple Gardens with something like a certainty of finding him. Miss Oakley, 
I have heard nothing that can give you any satisfaction concerning the fate of Mr. Thornhill, but I have much suspicion that something serious must have happened to him. The Fleet Street barber at whose door the dog so mysteriously took his post knows something of that circumstance, be it what it may. I'll stake my life on it. Tell me, Colonel. Had Mr. Thornhill fair hair and large, clear grey eyes? Why, yes, he did. Heaven help me. Have you any reason for asking that question? I feel that in Thornhill, I must recognize Marking Gestry himself. You astonish me. It must be so. Not just from your description, but from Thornhill's indiscretion. So characteristic of my mark, of walking dubious avenues with priceless gems hanging out his pocket. I cannot think, Miss Oakley, that you are correct in that supposition. The ingenuous character of Mr. Thornhill forbids the likelihood of such a thing occurring. Nevertheless, you must agree that something dreadful has occurred, and that the barber in Fleet Street could, if he chose, unravel a frightful secret connected with marking Gestry's fate. In faith, I sincerely hope that you are wrong. Speaking frankly, dim and obscure as is the hope that Ingestry has been picked up from the wreck of his vessel, it is yet stronger than the supposition that Thornhill has escaped the murderous hands of Sweeney Todd. I will ascertain his fate or perish in the attempt. You alarm me by those words. Let me implore you, Miss Oakley, to attempt nothing rash. Remember how weak and inefficient must be the exertions of a young girl like yourself. Weak and inefficient? You know so little of the world, and can really understand so little of its wickedness. Your very enthusiasm of affection for Mr. Ingestry, believe me, will only lead you to some excess. To risk much in order that you may, perhaps, have some remote chance of achieving very little. Some romantic exercise of feeling will bring great danger in its train. I do not shrink from danger. But would you bring sorrow to those who love you? Those who love me? Who is there to love me now? <sighs> That is a question I may not answer. Indeed, Colonel. Why not, pray? My response would sound... Yes? It would sound... ungenerous at such a time as this. I see. Do you? Oh, I understand you well, Colonel. I hope, lady, that I have not lowered myself in your esteem by what I have said. I assure you, Colonel Jeffrey, that you've only confirmed me in my previous estimation of you. <gasps> that is a great relief, Johanna. <gasps> Pardon me for addressing you as Johanna. I am accustomed so to be addressed by those who regard me as you do. Are there many such? I hope not. <gasps> I will then avail myself of that liberty, Johanna, and again entreat you to leave to me the task of making what attempts may be made to discover the fate of Mr. Thornhill. There must be danger even in inquiring for him if he has met with any foul play. I therefore ask you to let that danger be mine. You have my permission, dear Colonel, to embark on any danger you choose. May I hope that this day week I may see you here again? Hope all you wish, sir. Then, Joanna, till we meet again. Till we meet again, Colonel. Much luck to you. I doubt not that you will require all that you can obtain. Perhaps one of the most pitiable objects in our history is poor Tobias, Sweeney Todd's boy. Behold him. He sits moody and alone in Todd's shaving chair, as it is called, 
a large old-fashioned piece of furniture made of oak and carved. Bold, this chair is screwed tight to the floor. Who's he think could steal it? Hello, my lad. Is this Mr. Todd's? Aye, but he's not at home. What do you want? Stab my vitals. This is a barber's establishment. Mr. Todd is a barber. It sounds against the law, is it? I'll be hanged. And may Sweeney Todd dangle at your side. What, forsooth, would a barber do with garments such as these? Those are some rich togs you've got there. Where'd you get them? I made them. Oh, you're a tailor, are you? Tosh! Men of fashion have no truck with mere tailors. I, boy, am an artist. You draws pictures? <laughs> I create beautiful raiment for the quality. Behold, my lad, this coat is of imported velvet, lined with the purest china silk, trimmed with the most delicate Belgian lace. Stab my vitals if your profane urchin's eyes have e'er beheld such finery. Frumpery, more like. What sauce? Impudent tadpole. Is you sure that my Sweeney Todd ordered this? A tall, ugly-looking fella. As ugly as the very devil. Well, then you brung it to the right address. Curious. Take them, coarse fellow, and be sure you give them to your master. You mean to leave them without payment? They are paid for. Blimey. What's the old bugger up to now? Tobias. Aye, sir? Have anything's been left for me? Aye, sir. This here parcel of fancy togs, and a boy's been sent to say that a carriage will be ready at half past seven precisely. <laughs> Tis well. Uh, Tobias, as soon as I change clothes, I'll be stepping out again. Uh, you be careful of the shop whilst I'm gone. If anyone comes here on business, you may say that there'll be neither shaving nor dressing tonight. You understand me? Here's your pork pie, soldier. Thank you, mistress. Here now. What are you about? This is me counter, not a bloody esquitrari. Pray forgive me, Liberty Man. I must finish this correspondence before the next Liverpool packet. Well, I can't refuse a man in uniform. But if we get crowded, you'll have to give up the space. Of course. Bone appetite, as the froggies say. Mmm, God, Zeus, this is excellent pie. <clears throat> to Captain Horatio Rathburn, the Hotel Royal Oak, Liverpool. Mmm, wonderful. Dear Captain, as I promised you, I herein record a report on my investigation of the disappearance of our friend Thornhill. I have met twice with the young lady in question, Joanna Oakley. On my oath, sir, she is all in beauty that the warmest imagination could possibly picture. Along with her personal charms, which certainly are most peerless, I have seen enough of her to feel convinced that she has a mind of the purest order that ever belonged to any human in the world. Alas, though she be as determined as we to come to the bottom of the mystery, she has no resources of use to us. 
Numerous other inquiries convince me that Thornhill's trail stops at the door of Sweeney Todd, where the faithful Hector steadfastly kept up his vigil until he too disappeared. Undoubtedly, Todd has done in the noble mastiff as well as his master. I discern two avenues of inquiry crucial to a successful resolution of this business. First, how is Todd disposed of the body? Where is it? And, of supreme importance, where are the pearls? Find the string of pearls, and we unearth Thornhill's assailant, and peradventure the man himself. I purpose to gain access, somehow, to Todd's premises, which I intend to search thoroughly. I must act before he has a chance to sell the gems. Wish me luck. With sincere esteem, I remain your most humble servant, Colonel Bartholomew Jeffrey. At that period, the follies and vices of the nobility were somewhere about as great as they are now. Consequently, extravagance on many occasions induced troublesome sacrifice of money, and it was found extremely convenient to apply to a man of the name of John Mundell. I wish to know, Mr. Mundell, if you're inclined to lay under an obligation a rather illustrious lady by helping her out of a little bad loaf, a pecuniary difficulty. An exceedingly wealthy person who was reported to make immense sums of money by lending to the nobility and others what they required on emergencies at enormous rates of interest. I should have myself accommodated the illustrious lady with the sum of money she requires, but as I could not do so without encumbering some estates, she positively forbade me to think on. In point of fact, John Mundell was nothing more than a pawnbroker on a very extensive scale. Certainly, certainly. She is a very illustrious lady, I presume. Oh, very illustrious indeed. But it must be a condition of this transaction, if you at all enter on, that you are not to inquire precisely who she is, nor are you to inquire precisely who I is. <laughs> Am. This is not my wanted way of conducting business, but if everything else be satisfactory, I shan't cavil at that. Oh, very good. By everything else being satisfactory, I presume you mean the security offered. Why, yes, that is of great importance, my lord. I informed the illustrious lady that as the affair was to be wrapped up in something of a mystery, the security must be extremely ample. That's a very proper view to take of the matter, my lord. Uh, therefore, the illustrious lady placed in my hands a security to a third greater amount than she required. Certainly, certainly. A very proper arrangement, your grace. <laughs> May I ask the nature of the proffered security? Jewels. Oh, highly satisfactory an unexceptionable security. They go into a small space and do not deteriorate in value. And if they do deteriorate in value, <laughs> it will make no difference to you, for the illustrious person's honor will be committed to their redemption. I do not doubt that in the least, Your Grace. I merely made the remark incidentally, quite incidentally. Of course, of course, of course. I trust before going further that you are quite in a position to enter into this subject? Most assuredly, I am. And I am proud to say, to any amount, Show me the money's worth, Your Grace, and I will show you the money.
That's my way of doing business. No one can say that Jan Mundel ever shrunk from a matter that was brought fairly before him and that he considered worth his going into. Oh, it was by hearing such a character of you that I was induced to come here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, what do you think of these? Oh, well... I humbly beg your grace's pardon. How much money does your grace require on these pearls? 12,000 quid. Uh, pounds is their current value. If a sale of them was enforced, 8,000 are required of you on their security. Oh, 8,000 is a large sum. <clears throat> As a general thing, uh, I lend but half of the value upon anything. But in this case, to oblige your grace and the illustrious personage, I do not, of course, hesitate for one moment, but shall for one month lend the required amount. That will do. <laughs> In what name, Your Grace, shall I draw a check upon my banker? In the name of uh, Colonel George. To be sure, to be sure. If Your Grace will give me an acknowledgement for 8,000, and please to understand that at the end of a month from this time, the transaction will be renewed if necessary. I will give you a check for seven thousand five hundred pounds. Why seventy-five hundred only when you mention eight thousand? The five hundred is my meager commission upon the transaction. Your Grace will perceive that I appreciate highly the honor of your Grace's custom, and consequently charge the lowest possible price. I can assure your grace, I could get more for my money by a great deal. But the pleasure of being able to meet your grace's views is so great that I am willing to make a sacrifice. And therefore it is that I say 500, when really I ought to say a thousand, taking into consideration the great scarcity of money at the present juncture. I can assure your grace that... Oh, peace, peace, peace. Give me the money. And if it be not convenient to redeem the jewels at the end of a month from this time, you will hear from me most assuredly. I am quite satisfied of that. <laughs> there you are, Your Grace. I need scarcely urge upon you, Mr. Mundell, the propriety of keeping this affair profoundly secret. <laughs> Indeed, you need not, Your Grace, for discretion and caution are part of my business. I should very soon have nothing to do in my line, Your Grace. It may depend on it if I were to talk loosely. Nay, this transaction will forever remain locked up in mine own breast, and no living soul but Your Grace and I need know what has occurred. With this, John Mundell showed his visitor to his carriage with abundance of respect. And in two minutes more, the latter was traveling along towards town with what might be considered a small fortune in his pocket. As I sat at the cafe, I said to myself, 
They may talk as they please about what they call health. They may sneer as they like about eating and drinking, but help it I cannot, I cannot help thinking how pleasant it is to have money. Hey ho! How pleasant it is to have money. The best of the tables and the best of the fare. And as for the others, the devil may care. It isn't our fault if they dare not afford to sup like a prince and be drunk as a lord. So pleasant it is to have money, hey ho! So pleasant it is to have money. I drive through the streets and I care not a damn. The people they stare and they ask who I am. And if I should chance to run over a cab, I can pay for the damage if ever so bad. So pleasant it is to have money, hey ho! So pleasant it is to have money. They may talk as they please about what they call pelf, and how one ought never to think of oneself. Our pleasures of thought surpass eating and drinking. My pleasure of thought is the pleasure of thinking. How pleasant it is to have money. Hey ho! How pleasant it is to have money. One day, shortly thereafter, Tobias was listlessly walking along the streets looking perfectly haggard and careworn, when all of a sudden... Hello, my lad. Stop a moment. Hey, where'd you come from? Did I not see you at the shop of Sweeney Todd? Do you not reside there? What's it to you? Is he not a kind master to you that you seem so unhappy? No. Yeah. I mean, I ain't got nothing to tell. Let me pass on. Fear not. I am a friend of Miss Joanna. <laughs> I knows all Miss Joanna's friends, and you ain't one of them. Well, then, I'm also a friend of Hector. Oh, if you're such a chum of his, why'd you leave him to die on the street? Well, I... Uh, Let me pass on, I say. Uh, hold, my lad. Here's a guinea for you, if you will tell me what became of the man of the seafaring appearance who was Hector's master. Keep your guinea. Todd will see us. I ain't saying nothing to nobody about nothing what I don't know nothing about. Come, I will make it worth your while. How came he to leave Hector behind Let him? Let me go about my business. If Todd sees me talking to you... Very well. As you are inaccessible to fair means, I must resort to others. Let go of me on! You shall come with me at once before a magistrate. That will force you to speak out. What the devil, I will! Out my sin! Leave me be! Leave me be! It wasn't long following this incident that a placard appeared in the window of Sweeney Todd's shop. It read, Wanted a lad. One of strict religious principles preferred apply within all right and that was sweeney todd and the string of pearls part two and one more part of that wrapping up next week with that uh curious tale of the barber of fleet street and you know i one thing i love about this production is the use of music um the story the story is the story and there you can hear the story and observe the story in different media but uh, what Yuri has done with the use of, of music and song to make it very uniquely a radio drama production is really good. Um, and he does that in every piece of work. Another uh, adaptation I think he did very, very remarkably well on was the uh, Maltese Falcon, which you'd think it'd be hard to reproduce an iconic film as an audio drama, but he's done a marvelous job there. 
Um, and uh, another new venture for him is Zorro. Um, does then a Zorro tale, which um, you should also check out the Mark of Zorro, um, a new adaptation by Yuri Rosovsky, which has Val Kilmer, of all folks, in it. Yeah, pretty awesome. Um, yeah, all right. Um, so, like I said, one more episode of that, then we get into our unconventional month of December programming. Um, hundreds and hundreds of hours of audio drama program at radiodramarevival.com if you want to check it out. Uh, of course, you can also follow us on Twitter. Head up at Radiodrama. Uh, following Facebook's Radio Drama Revival page. You can sign up for email updates on the website, radiodramarevival.com. Get um, this show delivered to your inbox each week or find us on iTunes if you prefer to do it that way. Search for Radio Drama Revival. All right, that's a wrap for this week. Radio Drama Revival is produced by yours truly, Fred Greenhalgh, copyright of individual shows. Remains their original producers, but do please share the show as far and widely as you'd like. Radio Drama Revival originates in on-air radio at WMPG-FM, Southern Maine's Community Radio is podcast at radiodramarevival.com to labor love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week. 